Good morning and welcome home. It's good to see everybody today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for joining us, those of you who are tuning in online. Uh, Before we get started today, well, by the way, if we haven't met, my name's Adam. I'm the discipleship pastor. Our lead pastor, Kyle, is taking some much needed time off. But uh, I just want to celebrate today. Yesterday was our Project Feed Pittsburgh and Feed Columbus. And I don't know if, from my point of view, I don't know if it could have gone any better. Let's celebrate that today. We gave away a bunch of food in our two communities. So thank you for your generosity, those of you who gave financially, those of you who worked either Friday night or Saturday. Um, I told Sarah yesterday, I said, I said, you realize we, every single age group in our church was represented in our volunteers yesterday, from kids to prime timers and everybody in between, and that is something to celebrate. So uh, thank you again for your participation in that. Um, We are in this series called Be Encouraged. We're walking through the New Testament book of 1 Peter. We're just going through kind of chapter by chapter. And just a reminder that Peter is writing to a group of persecuted Christians. Um, for For the simple fact of loving and following Jesus, they faced everything from Um, financial hardship, all the way to the possibility of death, and everything in between. And so we've got to keep that in in the back of our minds that that's who he's writing to. And so he's wanting to encourage them, and he's wanting to teach them, how do we live in the midst of the chaos, right? You can imagine how chaotic life was for them with that kind of active persecution. We're living in some chaos right now, aren't we? And so Peter's words to them can say something to us today. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Um, Our principle is in the midst of that chaos, don't lose sight of how to treat each other. That's where Peter is going today. Or in other words, in the midst of the chaos, don't lose your ever-loving mind. Say that with me. Don't lose your ever-loving mind. I think that's my new, the new, my new life slogan. We've lost our ever-loving mind. Sometimes Sarah will, um, she'll say something to me and I'll say, yeah, you know why? Because we've lost our ever-loving minds. And Peter's going to tell us today, let's not lose our ever-loving mind in the midst of the chaos. Now, before we go any farther, I want I to give you a disclaimer. When I first read the passage that we're going to look at today, it immediately brought to mind um, just all the stuff going on in our culture right now. And, but, I, but I was kind of torn because I know that probably all of us, myself included, we're all kind of on overload, aren't we? We're, we're probably all kind of tired of talking about it and thinking about it. And so I wanted to be faithful to what I felt like God was saying through the text. And yet I know we're all kind of tired of talking about all that stuff. So I'm going to make a deal with you. We're going to touch on that stuff a little bit, but we're not going to camp out on it. So the deal is, I won't camp out on everything going on in our culture today if you won't tune out thinking I'm going to camp out on everything that's going on today. Is that a deal? We have a deal? All right. That was more enthusiastic than in the first service. So good deal. So here's our passage, 1 Peter 3. If you want to find it in the Bible or your Bible app, 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to start in verses 8 and 9. And uh, once again, remember, Peter is instructing them on how to live in the midst of the chaos. And first of all, he says, finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tenderhearted, and keep a humble attitude. 
Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Social media. Did I say that out loud? Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That's what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. And so the first thing that Peter tells them is, don't lose your ever-loving mind. Okay, that's not exactly what he says. But he does say, be of one mind, right? That's how he starts, be of one mind. How do we live in the midst of the chaos? First of all, be of one mind. Now, that doesn't mean that that we should agree on everything. We're not going to agree on everything. You're not going to agree with your spouse on everything, right? If you spend longer than five minutes with somebody, you're probably going to find something that you're not going to agree on. So that's not what he's saying. But one of the ways that we can have uh, one mind or be of one mind is by agreeing on how we're going to treat each other, right? That's what, that's what Peter is talking about here. Be of one mind by at least agreeing on how we're going to treat each other. So that's kind of the umbrella. That's the broad umbrella is be of one mind by agreeing on how you're going to treat each other. And then he gives us some specifics that sort of fall under that umbrella. And the first specific that he gives us is sympathize with each other. Or in other words, have compassion for each other. Here's one thing that God's been teaching me recently about compassion. Compassion allows us to hear about other people's pain or other people's struggle without saying, well, what about me? Think about that for a second. Compassion, sympathy allows us to hear about other people's pain and other people's struggle without saying, well, what about me? Let me give you an example of that. Sometimes Sarah and I will have a bad day on the same day, right? And the first time we see each other at the end of the day, you know, there have been times where like I've been anxious to see her because, man, I got some things I got to get off my chest. I've had this crummy, rotten day. And before I can say anything, she's gone in telling me about her bad day. And there have been times where I have found myself thinking, what about me? What about my bad day? When do I get to talk about my bad day? All right. Some of you are kind of snickering because you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's not compassion. That's not sympathy. Compassion and sympathy would cause me to say, man, I hate it. She's had a rotten day. I'm going to listen to her. I'm going to let her, I'm gonna let her you know, unload what she needs to unload. Maybe I'll ask her how I can help, and then, then my turn can come. Compassion and sympathy don't say, well, what about me? In fact, you know what compassion and sympathy say? There's one thing that, that true compassion says, how can I help? Let's practice that. Say it with me. How can I help? We need a lot of practice with that. Let's say it again. Those of you watching online, say it with us also. How can I help? That is compassion. That is sympathy. Sympathize with each other. Ask, how can I help? The next time that your spouse or your kid or your boss or your coworker, next time somebody snaps at you or bites your head off, instead of snapping back, because that's, that's usually our initial gut reaction, right? We want to bite their head off back. What are you doing? Snap it at me. I'm going to snap at you back, right? Let me ask you, when has that ever helped? That was such a, such a huge realization in my mind in my relationship with Sarah. No, I'm not perfect at practicing it still. But, you know, that realization, when in the history of helping has that ever helped to bite somebody's head off right back? That doesn't help anything. 
So next time somebody bites your head off or snaps at you because they've had a rotten day or a bad day or they're in a bad mood or they're irritated or whatever, instead of snapping back, what if you just said, say it with me, how can I help? What if you just said, how can I help? I'm sorry, you've had a bad day. How can I help make the rest of the day better? How can I help? What if we responded to the race issue, not with defensiveness or changing the subject? What if we just said, how can I help? Or what about, what about the COVID issue? Maybe you think it's all overblown, but you know somebody who's anxious about it. What if you just asked, how can I help? How can I help? True sympathy and compassion don't get defensive. They don't make excuses. And they don't say, well, what about me? They just say, how can I help? And that's what Peter's telling us to do. Be sympathetic to each other. Have compassion for one another. Second thing he says is love each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Now, I read that and I thought, well, what, how do brothers and sisters love each other? What does that mean? Does that mean we should fight all the time? Because I, I know a few brothers who, my house, who fight a lot. But here's how brothers and sisters should love each other, all right? We have two dogs. Their names are Ace and Brimus. And these two dogs, they're, they're about six or seven months old. They're yellow labs. Um, so, you know, they're full of energy, they're really strong, and it is a royal pain to try to walk these both dogs by yourself. Every time I've walked these dogs by myself, at least once, I've had to stop and untangle the leashes, you know, because they just like wind it around me like in the cartoons or something, and I can imagine what the neighbors are thinking when that's going on. So a few weeks ago, Sarah and the boys were out of town, and I knew I was going to have to walk the dogs by myself, but I came up with a plan. And that plan was built on the assumption that I am smarter than the dogs, which proved to be a big assumption. I said, okay, I'm going to give Brimus a rawhide chew, and he'll have to gnaw on it. It'll keep him occupied for a while while I walk Ace, and then I'll bring Ace back, and I'll switch him. I'll give Ace the rawhide chew, and I'll walk Brimus, and it'll all be good. What could possibly go wrong, right? Right? So I did it. I put the leash on Ace. I gave Brimus the rawhide chew. I took off running at full speed with Ace because that's the only way they know how to start. And pretty soon, back in the yard, we got about a quarter of the way down our long gravel driveway, and Brimus figured out what was going on. And he started barking. And Ace, Ace is running. He's running full speed. And pretty soon, he hears Brimus barking behind him, and he starts looking behind him. And he starts slowing down, and he's still looking behind him. And pretty soon he stops, and I just tugged on the leash a little bit, and I said, come on, Ace, let's go. And that dog planted his paws in the dirt, and he was not taking another step down that driveway without his brother. Now, let me tell you something. Those dogs will fight each other, and they will compete over food, and they'll compete over toys, and they'll compete over who's going to get petted first. But Ace was not going anywhere without his brother. And I guarantee you, if another animal were to come in that yard, it would be fighting not one, but two dogs. See, in the church, we can disagree with each other on a lot of things. 
We can disagree on race. We can disagree on politics. We can disagree on COVID-19. We can even disagree on how to interpret certain passages of Scripture. But God help us if we forget that we are on the same team. God help us. God have mercy on us if we fail to have each other's backs because ultimately that's what brothers and sisters do. They may not agree all the time, but they have each other's backs because they're on the same team. And they're not leaving anybody behind. Or what about in marriage? You know, if you've heard any of Sarah's and my marriage material or, um, in fact, another one of our second marriage moment came out, was released last night, and we actually talk about this. One of the things that Sarah and I talk about a lot is we believe the biggest challenge in marriage is not communication. I think that's a myth. I think the biggest challenge in marriage is competition. We compete as spouses, we, especially when we disagree. We, we compete over who's right and who's wrong, but we also, you know, we compete on how we're going to do finances and we compete over how we're going to spend the weekend or how we're going to spend vacation or how we're going to discipline the kids. We compete, right? And then when we have, when we have different um, opinions on something, because we really treat each other as competitors, even though we might say we're a team, because we compete, we, we treat each other as competitors, when we have separate opinions, then we dig in our heels and we sort of compete to see who can convince the other one that their way is right and best. That's how competitors treat each other. Teammates, when they don't see eye to eye, put their heads together and say, okay, how can we figure this out? Maybe we can find a third option that takes into account the best of both. Teammates work together. Teammates have each other's backs. Brothers and sisters treat each other as a team. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we disagree, let's not forget we're on the same team. That's what loving each other as brothers and sisters boils down to. Recognize that in spite of our differences, we are on the same team, so act like it. Treat each other like it. We're on the same team. Peter goes on and he says, be tenderhearted and humble. Now, those are two different things, but they're kind of related, so we're going to treat them together this morning. He says, be tenderhearted and humble. I preached a few weeks ago on humility, so I'm just going to talk for just a minute about this. I want to talk about one aspect of humility, again, that God's, I feel like God's been speaking to my heart about, and it's this. I actually included this um, statement in a, a Facebook post here a while back. Sometimes humility, sometimes humility reminds us that no matter how strong our opinion is on something, it might be a misguided opinion that needs to be brought under the authority of Christ. Now, I don't know if that hits you as hard as it hit me when I first felt like God was saying that to me. Sometimes humility recognizes that no matter how strong your opinion is on something, it might be misguided, and it needs to be brought under the authority of Christ. Here's where the tenderheartedness comes into play. Sometimes we allow our hearts to harden around a sacred opinion 
to the point that we won't even consider another perspective. We won't even consider a new set of facts that have maybe been introduced into the equation because we've allowed our hearts to harden around that sacred opinion. I'm right, and you're not going to say anything that's going to change my mind. Peter says, be tenderhearted and be humble. And sometimes that requires us to say, you know what? Maybe there's another perspective here that I need to hear. Now, when I said that, your mind probably went to race and COVID and all that stuff that's going on in our culture right now. But what about at home? Or what about at work? What about when, when you're not, when, what about when you have a different opinion with your spouse or a different opinion than your boss or a coworker? Do you have the humility to pray, God, help me to at least see it from their perspective. Help me to at least understand where they're coming from. And God, you have the freedom to change my mind. Don't let your heart get so hardened around your sacred opinions that you're not able to allow God to change your mind. Because maybe there's another side of this, of whatever issue we're talking about, that is more reflective of the heart of Jesus than the opinion that you currently hold. That's true of the big, broad brush things in our culture, and that's true just when you and your spouse disagree. Maybe there's a side of this that I need to see. God, you have the freedom to change my mind. Have the humility and the tenderheartedness to say that. Whatever your opinion or position is on anything, have the humility to bring it under the authority of Christ and give God the freedom to change your mind. Be humble and tenderhearted, he says. And then finally, he says, don't retaliate, but pay them back with a blessing. Don't retaliate. Pay them back with a blessing. Now, that word that's translated blessing or bless, it literally means to speak well of, to speak well of. And remember, he's writing to a people who are being actively persecuted in a pagan culture. And he's saying, Don't pay them back. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate. Pay them back with a blessing. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, well, if we're expected to pay, if we're expected to not retaliate against people who are actively persecuting us, maybe even with the threat of death, if we're expected to speak blessing, to pay them back with blessing, a people who are actively persecuting, persecuting us, then how much more are we probably expected to speak blessing on those who have simply committed the egregious error of disagreeing with us? If we're expected to speak blessing on those who are actively aligning against us, who are actually acting as enemies, how much more should we speak blessing on those who just disagree with us? Now, there's probably someone here, there's probably someone watching online who would say, I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready to speak blessing on that person who has hurt me or hurt my family. I'm not ready to speak blessing on that troll on social media who doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm not ready to speak blessing on that person on the other side of the political aisle who I think is a complete idiot. I'm not ready to speak blessing 
to my spouse who is just about to drive me nuts. Fair enough. Fair enough. But hear me when I say this. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And he can take you to a place. He can take you to this place right here where you can actually speak blessing and pray blessing on those who have hurt you and those you disagree with. And even those that you think are just a complete idiot. God can bring you, the Holy Spirit can bring you to a place where you can do what right now might seem unimaginable. You can speak and you can pray blessing on them. The Spirit can help you live this out. But maybe right now you're back here and you can't imagine being right there. Let me give you what often is the first step to walk in that direction. What if you just simply start by not saying something negative to them or about them? If you're not at a place where you feel like you can say something positive or be a blessing or speak a blessing or pray a blessing, what if you just start by not saying something negative? What if you started by simply not retaliating? What if you started by simply not making a retaliatory post on social media? What if you started by not, sitting, by not hitting send on the text that you really want to send? What if you started by simply not bad-mouthing them to a third party? If you can't bring yourself to say, something un, or to say something kind to them right now, what if you simply started by deciding not to say something unkind? What's the first step in putting out a fire? Stop dumping fuel on it. Stop putting wood on it. Stop pouring gas on it. The first step to healing and reconciliation, the first step to this place where you can actually start to say and speak and pray a blessing on them, the first step is stop putting fuel on it. Stop putting fuel on the fire. And at least decide, I'm not going to say something unkind. Now, some of this is pretty hard-hitting, isn't it? I'll be honest, this message has been stepping on my toes the whole week and the whole morning. In a lot of ways. And it might leave us asking, why should we choose to live this way? Why is it so important? I mean, Peter's writing this to this persecuted church. Why is it so important that we live this way in the midst of the chaos? Well, he actually already told us. We already read it. He says that is what God has what? Called you to do. That is what God calls you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. There's two parts to that statement. We live this way. We treat each other in the midst of the chaos, first and foremost, because God calls us to live that way. And secondly, because the word tells us God blesses those who do things his way. Now, that brings us to this question. You might be saying, well, Adam, I thought this series was called Be Encouraged. I haven't heard anything encouraging I just been, you just been busting my chops, right? Okay, raise your hand. You won't hurt my feet. Raise your hand if you just feel like you've had your chops busted today. I have. Here's Peter's encouragement. 
By the way, all of us need to let somebody bust our chops every now and then, okay? Here's Peter's encouragement. He goes on in verse 10. He says, for the scriptures say, if you want to what? Enjoy life. And if you want to see many what? Happy days, not the old TV show. Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Notice that that last part of, that, of those verses, he's kind of, by the way, he's quoting from Psalm 34, and it's, it kind of restates what he said in the previous couple of verses, right? He's talking about how we treat each other. And he's saying, you want to enjoy life, you want to see happy days, focus on how you treat each other. And so Peter's encouragement here is this, even in the midst of the chaos, you can have a good life. If that wasn't possible, he wouldn't have made that statement. A good life is possible. An abundant life is possible. You know, Jesus didn't just say that he came to bring eternal life. He also said, I came to bring abundant life, good life, fulfilling life. My boys, they were in this, this play in church when they were real little. And it was about all these, I don't remember the name of it, it was about all these sheep and like one of the big, like the big line through the whole thing is that Jesus came to give us abundant, wonderful life. And I can't think of that verse about abundant life without thinking about that, right? There is an abundant life out there that is available to us. There is a good life out there, even in the midst of the chaos, remember who he's writing to. They were practicing their faith under the threat of death. And Peter says, a good life is there for you. But here's the thing. We usually equate a good life with what we have, don't we? If I could just have this, if I could just have that, if I could just have a bass boat, if I could just have a good job, if I could just have a raise, if I could just have a different marriage, if I could just have this, if we could just have a cure for COVID, if we could just have this. Peter says, no, no. A good life is not found in what you have. It's found, first of all, in a relationship with Jesus. Now, he doesn't spell that out, but remember, he's writing to the church. So there's this underlying assumption that they already have a relationship with Jesus. That's the foundation. But from there, the brick and the mortar of how the happy life is built, it's not built on what we have. It's built on how we treat people, Peter says. It is built on how we treat people. You know what? I hope, I hope and pray that your marriage does get better. Until then, focus on how you're treating your spouse, not on how they're treating you, on how you're treating your spouse. And by the way, here's a secret. If both of you will focus on that, your marriage will get better. I hope that you do. I hope that you do find a great job that's fulfilling and maybe pays a little more money and gives you a little bit more comfort and security in that way. I hope, you've, I hope God provides that for you. But until that happens, focus on how you're treating your coworkers and your boss. I hope we do find a cure for COVID. But until then, focus on how you're treating people who are dealing with it differently than you. I hope the temperature cools a little bit after this political season is over. But until then, focus on how you're treating people who have different views than you. And my goodness, I hope we can figure out the race issue. 
Until then, focus on how you're treating people, all people. That's where the good life is found. You see, there's just something. There's something about intentionally treating people well that can completely change your outlook on life. There's something about that, and I think the reason for that is, we already said it, that's what God has called you to do, and he'll grant you his blessing. You see, life is always better when we do things God's way. He created us. He created life, so it should make sense to us that life is going to be better when we do things his way, and that includes when we treat people the way that he tells us to treat them. That's where the good life is found. So I want to leave you today. I want to leave you with what I'm calling the 1P3 test. This may be a little cheesy, but sometimes the cheesy things are things that we remember, all right? It's 1 Peter 3, 1P3. It's the 1P3 test. Filter your relationships and your opinions and your responses to other people through the lens of this passage that we just read in 1 Peter 3. Apply the 1P3 test. Let me give you an example of how that works. The next time you want to send somebody a text, the next time you want to post something on social media, the next time you want to simply share something on social media, or the next time you're driving home and you're mad at your spouse and you're rehearsing the script in your mind. You know what I'm talking about, right? You, rehearse, you know, you're rehearsing what you're going to say to them. Raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand if you've ever done that. Next time you're driving home and you're rehearsing the script about what you're going to say to your spouse. Before you say it, before you hit send, before you hit post, look up 1 Peter 3, find this passage that we just read, it starts in verse 8, and apply the 1P3 test and ask yourself, okay, is what I want to say, is what I want to text, is what I want to post, is it consistent with this passage in 1 Peter 3? If not, don't say it. Don't send it. Don't post it. Apply the 1P3 test. Does the way that you're treating your family right now stand up under the 1P3 test? Does your response to someone who has hurt you or hurt your family, does it stand up under the 1P3 test? Do your opinions and responses to current events around us, do they stand up under the 1P3 test? Filter your relationships and your opinions and your responses to other people through the 1P3 test. Does it stand up? Is it consistent with what I read in this passage in 1 Peter 3? And then if you decide that it's not, maybe if you're like me, you're looking at this and you're thinking, man, I, um, there's some things Peter mentions here, and uh, I think I need to make some apologies to some people. And do it. You need to apologize to your family. You need to apologize to somebody sitting in this room. If you need to apologize to somebody sitting on the couch next to you in your living room as you're watching online. If you need to apologize to a coworker. If you need to apologize to a troll on social media. Maybe you still think they're wrong, but maybe the way you handled it wasn't the best. Then do it. Do it today. Tell them today, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've treated you this way. 
How are you holding up under the 1P3 test? Because here's the thing. There is a good life available, even in the midst of the chaos. And it starts with how we treat each other. Peter says in the midst of the chaos, don't lose your ever-loving mind. Treat each other with the heart of Christ. That's really what all this boils down to. Just treat your spouse. Treat people on the other side of the political aisle. Treat people who disagree with you on whatever issue. Just treat them with the heart of Jesus. Would you stand with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, the fact that it can encourage us and it can comfort us. And Lord, sometimes it, sometimes it challenges us. Sometimes it steps on our toes. Sometimes it leaves us feeling like we've gotten our chops busted. But God, we know that your heart, your desire is to mold us and shape us more into the image of Jesus. And Father, that's what we want. So whatever our response to your word needs to be today, God, if we need to apologize to somebody, then give us the courage to do it. If we need to change some habit that we have, give us the courage to do it. If we need to limit the things that we're feeding our brains, then give us the discipline to do it. Help us to just be more like Jesus in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name.